And welcome to another episode of the Ninja Tune Podcast. This time I'm fortunate enough to be joined by the unique genius that is Mr. Kid Koala. We're going to be having a bit of a talk about his forthcoming Space Cadet project, which is simultaneously coming out as a graphic novel and an album to listen to whilst you read. I'm going to be talking to him about that and all manner of other interesting things that he's done throughout his career. And then I'm going to be playing you some brand new songs, as always, at the end of the podcast that we've selected for your ears. So stay tuned for that. I am delighted to be joined, well, I suppose I am now joining Kid Koala, who is our guest for this episode. Hello, welcome. First of all, could you uh, tell us about the purpose of your trip over? What are you doing here in London? I'm here to do a music to draw to event to celebrate the launch of Space Cadet, the book I've been working on for eight years. And uh, that's it. Yeah, I was already over here. I'm on tour in Holland right now city to Holland and I had the beginning of this week off and so Ninja called and said you should come over and do something for the book since it's coming out this month so yeah it's great to be back it's very very nice to have you um, so yeah the first question I guess is about uh, is about this particular release you have um, it's a book as it, well, you're calling it a book. That was something that I actually wanted to touch on. Um, whether you see it as a book or an album or both, or if you separate them at all. It was a book for many more years than it's been an audio recording. The soundtrack I've been working on for just about two years, or I started working on it about two years ago. And the book, though, I started working on in 2003, so... Right after Newphonia Must Fall was published, I started penciling out this storyboard, this new book. But I guess it, it's always been a kind of a hybrid project for me. Some people call it a paperback silent movie, which I think makes sense. It, it's silent in that there's no dialogue in this story, but there is music. And underscores or a few of the scenes but yeah so now that you, it is this sort of graphic silent movie can you even think of the parts of it separately or is it all one big thing together and how would you like the audience to enjoy it that actually was also being developed over the last few years was the way to present this as a live show because I feel that's always kind of a nice way to celebrate releasing uh, a project or a product like like this was to come up with some show that brings it all together Space Cadet is actually a show as well now it's a seated headphone concert where everybody sits in these inflatable space pods and perform the music from the score and interactively have the audience help me recreate some of this music and the score. We've done this show twice now. Well, in two cities. We've done it at Museum of Contemporary Art in Massachusetts and at the Biosphere in Montreal. So I think we're looking at coming to London in November of this year. I just have to ship all this stuff over (laughs) soon. And is it making sense? Uh, Is it coming out as you had imagined it would in a live setting? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, it's I'm just starting to get bored of playing the same types of gigs, you know? Um, Whether it's a sweaty festival tent or really 
club. I always felt, you know, what I liked about turntables is that they, in my mind, they can kind of go to many different areas musically. And also, I feel the same way about touring and live shows. Personally, I, I just wanted to make, you know, some sort of event that was refreshing for, for us, people involved in putting it together, but hopefully also for the audience. And yeah, I think right now the, the response has been really, really quite, quite cool. Just, I guess because it's a DJ show, but since it's on headphones and it's, everyone's reclined on these space pods and relaxing and you can dial in the level uh, volume level to your comfort people are bringing their kids um you know it's just a completely different atmosphere and it's a lot of fun to to create this environment to bring people into my my wife actually has a lot to do with the live show she's a set designer and so she designed all the space pods so it's actually our first collaborative live show as well nice it's a family thing yeah it sounds totally befitting of the of the book and the story and how it kind of draws you into something quite other and it's really poignant considering it is silent apart from obviously the record that you listen to whilst you're reading it or looking at it i guess um so how did it all begin just to sort of roll back a little bit you say that you started it eight years ago but where did the idea come from and uh, if you want to describe the story a little bit well for you koala historians I was starting to throw around the term space cadet in 2003 because that's when the character was born I did a few remixes and called them space cadet remixes and I started messing around with this idea of playing a more sort of quiet style of scratching, I guess. Musically, that's sort of where it was heading. But also, the character itself was, like I said, appeared right after Newphonia uh, was finished because I was doing a poster for Newphonia was Falling. I drew the robot in, in that book. It's a, it's a story about a robot trying to write love songs. and can't sing. And I, I left this poster on the table, and a friend of mine... Uh, over for a visit and saw it and just said hey that's a nice astronaut and I looked at her I said what are you talking about astronauts it's so obviously a robot but what I realized was she was actually just looking at the robot upside down so if you look at the Newphonia robot and then now what is the space cadet character it is pretty much just the robot upside down but that's when the character was born has made a few appearances since then. You know, I drew I drew her in the in the window of one of the apartment windows. And some of my best friends are DJs, and, and it's just been a character I've been working on for a while. But the storyboards for this 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 book were really pretty much finished by 2004, and then at that point. I said, well, it's set in space. It'd be cool to do it in a medium that just sort of emotes space somehow, revokes space somehow. So I decided to use these white on black scratch boards, edge boards. And I found these in France. There's a company called Canson that made them. And I was just there on vacation. And I went to an art store and I found these boards and I started etching. The first thing I was etching was this. Oh, it's in space, so I don't have to do that much work. I can just <laughs> draw a few stars here and then set it up. But the joke was completely on me, uh, as I found out within the first chapter of the book. You know, the second you do anything that's indoor, or lit, or has more detail or backgrounds, you know, you're, the, the time it takes is exponentially higher. <laughs> basically a, a story about family. It's a story about a guardian robot and his daughter is raised and she becomes a, a kind of celebrated space explorer, astrophysicist. And um, 
Yeah, and it's, it's it's kind of about the connection that you have between people, even though you can be you know, oceans, or in this case, galaxies apart, still have the same sentiments in your mind, in your life, and and even though they're they have completely different. Uh, daily lives they, they still have these kind of parallel uh, I don't know connection you know what I mean so it's, it's a bit of a sweet story so far a lot of some of my filmmaker friends and <laughs> musician friends have read the book and uh, admitted to crying <laughs> which is <laughs> which is funny because I mean from a party DJ aspect like it's not really the the response you're usually looking for from your audience, but I guess if there's one tour where the people are going to leave sobbing, uh, I guess it will be Space Cadet. At what point did the idea of um, involving music in it come about? At what, at what stage along was that? Can you say you pretty much finished the story like seven years ago? Whenever I draw, I always draw to music. Actually doing each panel, some of them took you know, up to 50 hours for one of the, some of the pages, you know. So there was a lot of time for me to listen to music while I was working on this book. And often, just to stay in the zone, I kind of take this more quiet time. You know? Music, I guess, down-tempo, cinematic music to listen to. And so I feel that that's already in there. You know? It's in the rhythm of the adult storytelling and everything when I started recording the actual sound, I always knew there would be a, a score to it because I, did, I had done that on the Newfonium this fall book and I had a lot of fun with it and this really goes back to being raised on Charlie Chaplin films and, and the idea of uh, having this visual story but having the feeling of those scenes augmented by what was happening in the music the piano in those days and so I just gravitated towards the piano when it came time to score. It was my first instrument. I started on classical piano when I was four and then started DJing when I was 12. Um, but this, I wanted to kind of bring both of those musical worlds together. So the piano is actually, a lot of the structures and the chord cycles were all done on piano and counterpoints. And harmonic arrangements above that were all done on turntables so it was it was fun you know just to, I really wanted to keep it in that theme and that feeling kind of isolated quiet theme both of the characters live relatively quiet lives <laughs> you know she's stuck in a one person space pod floating around and he's in an apartment in the middle of the city but you know I mean, there's one page where he's just shoveling snow, which I think two weeks <laughs> But for anyone who's ever lived in a snowy country, you know, it's a very meditative kind of activity. Definitely, the uh, the musical side of it really enhances the um, kind of feeling of being subsumed in all of it. I hope so. I hope you know. I hope it's not something that's like, well, when is this music gonna end so I can concentrate on this book? And um, I remember with Newphony, I did a soundtrack for that, and I think it was just over 16 minutes or something. And I got all this slack from people saying the book's 350 pages or whatever. Music's end over by chapter two. Now what do I do? <laughs> and the thing is, is I don't know. I, I'm not that strict about how people want to you know experience this it could just it, if they want to get very you know nitpicky about it they could easily just yeah, I've, I've assigned titles to each of the tracks that were the core inspiration for the music for each musical piece and with the with the uh, page number next to it but it's not really a, a kind of ding turn the page you know I really don't think you have to be that that um detailed about it when you're when you're just reading it i think it, hopefully it'll just work if you just have it playing and read it 
pace, but yeah, I mean, so far I've asked a few people and they said that it actually timed out quite well. So I'm going to leap a few steps back now um, to sort of the beginning of you as a musician. What was it that led you to have a crack at DJing first? As you've already mentioned, you were 12 when you started out. What was it that led you there? I guess why do most people get into music? It's like, well, how are we going to get these girls to pay any attention to (laughs) (laughs) It's easy for those guys that can play basketball and, you know, skateboard or whatever. I wasn't, you know, skilled at such things, but I did have all this classical piano training, which still wasn't that cool. You know, I guess when you're 12, it's like, hey, you want to come to my recital? But I guess when I discovered scratching, uh, I remember hearing it for the first time, and, and I didn't know how they made the sounds. I was like, did they use a tape, tape recorder or something? But I, but I did realize the feel. I always realized that there was somebody manipulating the sound in real time and and in practice you know take a sentence and stutter it and and you know change the rhythm and the cadence of the sentence and turn it into this whole different thing and and that was super exciting to me because it just seemed like a a a universe of possibility first uh my first i you know my first scratching memories were, were actually on a hi-fi system that my sister had and it was a tape deck radio record player and um i you know i didn't have enough money to buy a mix or anything so i would just turn tune the radio to silence and it was fm and then phono on a switch so then when i went to fm i would tune it to silence and that would be the cut. And then when I flipped it to phono, then the sound from the record would come through. And that's actually how it started scratching for like nine months. I would just scratch using that switch and, and uh, these flexi vinyls that I'd find in magazines. Because those were the only ones that wouldn't skip. So, yeah, there's a long way from, uh, from you sort of mucking around and experimenting on crappy hi-fis to... You know, where you are now or even where you were you know, 15 years ago did you did you have a big break at any point is there anything that you'd identify as a big break that you had for me I've just had a lot of luck in being invited on tours many of my musical mentors Cold Cut obviously being one of the money mark Radiohead. These these are all bands that I admire and, and didn't really necessarily. Well, Colcut was, was an obvious relationship between what they're doing and what I'm doing. But a lot of the times it was just sort of being in the presence of these people playing their music and being exposed and being challenged and having that opportunity to perform in different contexts. You know, so it wasn't like. All of a sudden, I'm playing in Money Mark's band. Hear this is a ballad. Cry or something like that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I can't just go up and do like combination scratches over that. It would be really tasteless of me, you know. And and so it was about listening with the idea what would what would work. And, uh, what's the sentiment of core of the song, the heart of the song, whatever I did, I would hope supported that core. So it was, it was that and, and doing records with, you know, Dan the Automator and the Deltron and Lovage and Hans Boy Mama's and all these things were times 
where I was challenged to sort of go outside of what I'd normally just do. You know, I was like, Monty Python, Muppet Show inspired DJ and all of a sudden be like, okay, no, I gotta, I gotta think of this more in terms of how it supports the song. And that became part of fun, you know, yeah. to see if, if this instrument was as much, or I had the, could be the, the chameleon that I, I felt it had the potential to be, you know? So I think those were all really important kind of growing periods. Help me develop what was possible. You've been quite a collaborator. You've worked with a lot of different people. How do they come about? Is it just meeting someone and thinking, let's do something together? Or is it you wanting to try something new with your instrument? You know, it's weird. Sometimes I think people, they come to a show and then they see something that they feel leans towards something that they're working on. And, and then they invite me over to you know jam on some stuff or or you know just start talking or a lot of it for me is just like you hit it off personally with with uh, another musician or composer and then often it's just yeah i guess these people having an interest or, or being open-minded enough or to, to try to bring it together so now it's been, it's crazy, you know. I just did a show with Preservation Hall, like, well, not just but a couple of years ago. So, you know, New Orleans jazz ensemble that doesn't get more traditional than that, you know. But but at the same time, I you know I, I hold that music in really high regard, and and I haven't been that nervous at a gig ever, you know, because these cats are seventy years old. They've been playing their instruments, you know. Four times longer than I've been alive sometimes. I don't, wow. You know, how am I going to do what I do? You know, but, but it helps you grow, you know. You've mentioned sort of keeping the sense of fun involved in all of it. Do you see what you do as work or just work or is it purely play or even on collaborations is there a difference between how you view that and something like the book you've just made every project or collaboration or whether it's solo or otherwise is just a chance for expression you know and in any given situation there's always room for creativity even if every restriction is placed on you it's like I'm you have this one record and it has to be on this tempo and you know even then there's still enough decisions to be made about how you're going to do that you know and I think it's about exploring that and, and having fun with it with Space Cadet that was totally it this is not a color book you're doing everything white on black scratch etch board you know and at this point you know can you do something that that resonates with the story in your heart or the music in your ear or whatever it is you know and so that that's really that's the fun part it is all fun i don't i don't see this work ever you know i think if i wasn't having fun i would uh stop doing it <laughs> definitely <laughs> i'm obviously not doing it for the money <laughs> no publisher would be okay so let's give him an advance and then wait eight years um so again all these things are just driven mostly by a passion to see what's next and see if we can make it happen it seems like we might as well talk about um, the five tracks that you've selected to play in the podcast. It may remind listeners a little bit of a certain Radio 4 radio programme, but it in no way is Desert Island Discs. This is more of your influences. The first track that you selected is Excursions by A Tribe Called Quest. Could you tell us what led you to, to pick that one? Everybody has their kind of Rambo theme that they... <laughs> And they do push-ups too. <laughs> Get psyched up for a show. Um, I, I'm not a violent person. I don't think, and I don't know. I love I love the sentiment and the lyrics of that record. But Tripod Quest, De La Soul, like Prince Paul's work, um, the Jungle Brothers, like every everybody 
in that kind of late 80s era were so uh, key to my development, you know, in, in, in those early years when I started scratching. Um, but what I, I loved about that track in particular is just the sentiment is just really, really positive. It's really a great motivational track for me, you know. Yeah. Well, well I think we'd better get on and play some of it. Uh, there's a killer bass line coming up here as well. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, Excursions by Tribal Quest. Back in the days when I was a teenager Before I had status and before I had a pager You can find the abstract, listening to hip-hop My pops used to say it reminded him of bebop I said, well, daddy, don't you know that things go in cycles Way the Bobby Brown is just amping like Michael It's all expected, things are for the looking If you got the money, quest is for the booking Come on, everybody, let's get with the fly mode Still got room on the truck, load of black gold Listen to the rhyme to get a mental picture Of this black man, black woman picture why do I say that? Cause I gotta speak the truth, man Doing what we feel for the music is the proof And planet on the ground, the act is so together Gonna fight strong, you need leverage to sever The unit, yes, the unit, yes, the unit Call the jazz is delivering each year An LP filled with street goods You can find it on your rack in your record store If you get the record, say your thoughts are adored And appreciate it, cause we're ever so glad we made it We work hard, so we gotta thank God Dishing out the plastic, do the dance till you're spastic If you're this. It gets drastic. So yeah, that was Excursions by Tribal Quest, and um, your second selection is rather different. It's um, Henhouse Five Plus Two's Classical Cluck. I'd never heard this before. Um, could you tell me a bit about this record? I, I know nothing about it. I was a child when I heard this record. It was uh, my mom's friend from work who went over to her, her house for dinner once and was you know, a kid and there were no toys or anything you know what I mean and, but then she said oh oh Eric likes music oh well I've got a record for him and, and she put this song on classical club I it. like <laughs> right away I just could, uh, you know in the second it ended I was like play it again you know I'm like play it again play it again play it again The Tongue Twisting Classical Cluck by Henhouse 5 Plus 2. Now, your next song, uh, musically, is rather different. It's a uh, Hudsucker Proxy theme tune. And um, I'd listened to this before I, I read the book and listened to your new album. And I was sort of thinking, okay, this is a, re- a lovely piece of music, but you know, why would he single this out as an influence? And then I heard the record and it crystallised a lot for me. Yeah. Um, how, what's this? What about this has been um, influential or inspirational for you? I mean, I'm I'm inspired a lot by the cinema, you know, uh, Wong Kar Wai films, <laughs> Charlie Chaplin film plays as, as a child all the time, uh, Coen Brothers, you know, one of my favorite directors. Um, what I like about what they do is that every time they come out and do a film, they can chameleon <laughs> just transformed we're gonna do a film noir this time we're gonna do something said in Fargo <laughs> you know? we're gonna do this crazy film like the Hudsucker Proxy which was completely surprising to me and, and, and very exciting and the music is always uh, superb and and I realized that a lot of it was because of this composer who he just has beautiful themes, you know, and and is and writes beautiful arrangements and and the build of it. I'm, the prolude from this soundtrack is actually for a scene. Uh, it's kind of the the slowest lead up to a first kiss between <laughs> between uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Tim Robbins' character. I forget what their names are in this story, but and all the arrangements, the instruments come in one by one, and you think it's gonna go there and then it just keeps holding back and and then when it finally 
when they do actually finally, you know, kiss, then he sweeps all the strings and it just takes it like way further than I could possibly imagine. It's just really um, eargasmic music. So uh, we're going to move on to your next choice. It's Thelonious Monk's version of Just the Gigolo. What made you engage with this and uh, single it out for us to play here? Thelonious Monk, he just, he took an instrument that was been around for centuries and just reinvented it completely. (laughs) And and, and reinvented playing it completely, I'd rather, you know. Um, (laughs) But... uh, there's something about the way he plays. I, I feel it's, it's such an expressive. I don't need to hear more than maybe two notes of you know, or half a bar of Thelonious Monk to realize it's him. You know, and that's really hard to do. But I, I'm very into the you know, Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday, and a lot of the vocal jazz stuff I was always playing in my house. But I remember Money Mark showing me a bunch of Thelonious Monk live videos, and that's when it really kind of burned into my brain. <laughs> it just makes me smile, you know? It's like he squeezes so much lyricism out of this one melody line. was uh, Just Gigolo and that was a Thelonious Monk's uh, interpretation of the Duke Ellington track on the Ninja podcast uh, we've got a final choice coming up from Kid Koala um, it's Beats and Pieces by Cold Cut yes. uh, so there wasn't any arm twisting involved in this choice of course no. this may be the Ninja Tune podcast but it's a genuine personal pick and um, so it must have been a bit of a thrill to get involved with Ninja so how did that come about and yeah, you've already mentioned what this record meant to you. So, yeah, how did you come to end up on Ninja Tune? Welcome to the Church of What's Happening Now. I don't know. <laughs> I think they recognized their influence or something. You know, they realized, like, I, somehow they put something out into the world and it influenced, you know, Chinese-Canadian scratch DJ and, you know, on another continent. But, uh... Yeah, they uh, when they first did uh, when Ninja Tune did their first North American tour, Cold Cut, DJ Food, and Funky Puccini came over did uh, a sort of warm up set for Jonathan Moore's in store. That was the first time I met John, and uh, but he was playing White Label, you know, 
dub plates of new cold cut stuff that hadn't been out yet. And I was, I was super excited just to hear that stuff. But then at one point, he just started handing me records. He said, you know, Matt's not here. He usually does the scratching, but you want to you play over this stuff. And, and so he just started handing me records. And he's like, here, you know, I'm on this. And something about that session, like there were several moments where maybe because I'd been listening to the records like a lot growing up, that even though it was a new Coca album that nobody heard yet, I, I understood something about how they arranged it. And there were several moments where it just kind of lifted and, and, and everything sort of happened at the same time, like the scratching and things that sort of blended together. And we, we, we stopped and like looked at each other a couple times like, wow, that was actually really cool, like, you know? Um, so there was that, and then there was this cassette that they actually accidentally heard, despite what a lot of people say, that I planted that tape, but it wasn't the case. Because honestly, if I was in the front seat of that van when that tape flipped over to side B and started playing this mixtape that I, I was working on called Scratch, 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 I would have ejected it right away because it, it wasn't even like a final version thing. And, and, and these guys were you know musical like demigods to me I was like they can't hear this you know and I was so embarrassed when I realized that the tape what was on side A was Journeys by DJ and that was just playing in the car all the time and then when it flipped over you know it had this really early version of Scratch Crash Rage and I'm like oh no but luckily I was stuck luckily for me I was stuck in the back of the van and and DJ Food and Funky Pigeon, they were all talking amongst themselves and the music wasn't that loud, so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna ignore it. And, and then I, at one point, Patrick Carpenter, who was half of DJ Food at the time, uh, said, yeah, and he's like, what's this playing, you know? <laughs> and he's like, turn it up. And I'm like, oh, it's not like, uh, you know, it's just me goofing around. And But they, they listened to it and, and they, they really enjoyed it. And Kev said, you know, you should make us a copy for us to bring back to London um, and I was like okay cool and I, I just thought they were being polite British people <laughs> you know but I, I didn't hear from them for like almost I mean, eight months maybe I got a f- random phone call and Peter Quick said you know your tape's been circulating at the office quite a bit and you know you want to would you want to do a recording for us at some point? I was like, are you kidding me? This is crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, but Beats and Pieces, that goes way back to my high school, you know, years. And I heard, uh, what's that noise? And, and all the different places that that record went. And, and more specifically, Beats and Pieces, like, it was a UK import 12 inch and, and, and it was kind of a rare thing to have. It's still like, if you look at my record bag right now, it's still in there. It's the one record that is always in my record bag because um, even though I have like five copies of it now, I probably burned through the other four, you know, just because I know I've reached point and, and it, it used to be one that I used to do competitions with, you know, like, cause it had so many juicy little, moments and grooves that you can cut in and out of and, and flip so it was it was like that perfect cut of it.
Christian. <laughs> okay, that was Beats and Pieces, of course, by Cole Cut on the Nintune podcast. Um, so, yeah, I've got a couple of final questions before we wrap up. First of all, what's next? Well, I'm working on a, on a zombie puppet musical with Turntable Orchestra Pit. And, uh, it involves um, set design friends of mine, my wife as well, uh, working on the sets and new uh, voice talent, which some of them are unconfirmed, so I can't speak about it right now. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, a, it's about uh, zombies and ramen, the noodles. That's one thing that I'm working on. The other thing is the 12-Bit Blues album, which is my new next album for Ninja Tune. And that's almost finished. Um, so that should be out next year. And also completing this year's uh, new Deltron 3030 album, and the Automator, and Zelda Funky Homo Sapien. Well, we'll look forward to the first two of those in the next couple of years and then 2019 yeah. for, the, for the puppet musical um, so yeah one final thing I ask every guest to do this I'm going to put you on the spot a bit is there any exclusive that you can reveal now in the Ninja Tune podcast for the first time we're expecting my wife and I and you know I think that's the first time I've said that in an interview or at you know so please don't try to book me for shows at the beginning of next year <laughs> gonna be busy changing diapers and possibly you know i'm sure i'm sure another wave of inspiration will come from that sincere congratulations from me and from the listeners and everyone at ninja tune and yeah you heard it here first not available for gigs (laughs) quarter two of 2012 (laughs) so yeah thanks very much for taking the time to talk to me it's been a pleasure Welcome back to the Ninja Tune podcast. Obviously, I very much enjoyed talking to Kikawal. I hope you enjoyed listening to the interview as well. Um, We're going to crack on and play you some of our favourite tunes that we've got coming up now on the Ninja Tune family of labels in the next month or two. The first selection is Stateless with I'm on Fire. Whatever you've done, just bury it. with I'm on fire on the interesting podcast. Up next, we've got Roots Maneuver with Get the Get. Hey yo, yeah, yeah, Mr. We come with a tradition, but we traditional. And you know, we bring audio medicine because it's medicinal. Hey yo, Mr. Venting, this a big venting. We no rapper, we no skin, we no powder. More bass, that's a something we'll be proud of. The answer we keep, that I know we have a crowd up. Back to back with all my lords and ladies. Living the vibe, we have to run that daily. Anything we do, we do true to the movement. Anything we do, we do true to the movement. Now, move to Jersey, get wild, get mad, get get to get you get swarming. Move to Jersey, get wild, get mad, get get to get to somebody. Move to Jersey, get wild, get mad, get get to get you get swarming. Move to Jersey, get wild, get mad. Get, get, get to somebody Take my direction Get me on the floor I'll be your connection Chaos and more You fall in love and fall in love and fall in love Tell them I'm a fiend I'm beaten by the beat They are I am Bravi 
Maneuver, which is coming up on Big Dada soon. Uh, up next, we've got Toddler T, and this track is called Street So Warm. Hey, what them I say? What that I go on in the street? Be a violence and no peace. Heartless murder and killing has become the norm. Gunshots raining in the street like a blazing storm. Tell me, stop the government. Boy, Mr. Politician, tell me how the streets are warm. Tell me how the streets are warm. Accusations, boy, police murder charge. Who is to be trusted? Is it the witness or the search? Well, Mr. Government, boy, Mr. Politician, tell me how the streets are warm. When me ask the question, me not get no answer Who give you them the guns for gun gangster? Who make sure the shipment coming from Sri Lanka? Who create the system? Who are them sponsor? Who are place for so great, great? Most the highest murder rate The youth them not the food from them plate But yet them have shot by the crate Who is then no tax race? Hey, yo! When you think of a one When some of trunk the shatter have gun in a them palm them all a kill new band Me see the place I get wild and can't come Through heartless murder And killing has become the norm Well gunshots blazing In the street like a raging storm Hey Mr. Government Boy, Mr. Politician Tell me how the streets are warm Tell me how the streets are warm Hey, accusations Boy, police murder charge Tea with Street So Warm on the Ninja Tune podcast. The next track that we've got for you to check out is Sluggerbed, and this is Sun Too Bright, Turn It Off. guest on the Ninja Tune podcast, Emika, and this is a track called Pretend. Just for tonight, we can pretend, 
So here ends the podcast. That was future pod guest Emika with Pretend on the Ninja Podcast. As always, I've been your host, Dexter. Uh, Darren Knott has done a brilliant job of producing, and I'd also like to thank Kid Koala for taking the time to come and talk to us. Thanks very much to you in particular for having taken the time to listen through it. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, please look out for the next one coming up soon.